Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 10th of May 2012. I always suggest and get it out of the way right at the beginning of the broadcast that you make use of the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll see a whole bunch of sites listed on that front page, they're all mine. And uh, anything outside you see anywhere else in the net, that isn't mine. But uh, all these sites listed have uh, transcripts in English for download and print up. And they'll have audios for listening to uh, on the big system that I go through. And you can go into alanwattsentinel.eu, also listed on that front page, uh, and get transcripts in other languages. And I, I always mention, too, that you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't get sponsored by advertisers. I don't have shares in companies of things I'm selling and promoting. All I do is uh, get by just about almost uh, on the books and discs that I sell at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And uh, really, I, I depend on donations to keep me going. That way, I've got a clear, clear field to talk about different products. If anyone asks me about my opinion on things, I can always tell them honestly without being compromised. So... Uh, it's up to you if you want to keep me going. Now, I tend to go through the the history of this big world system, the globalization system, and how the big bankers got together a long time ago and formed their big cabals and think tanks, lots and lots of think tanks, and then their front foundations where they can funnel their cash that they don't pay to taxes into tax-free foundations, which they own, and they funnel the money to non-governmental organizations. They call this democracy, and of course, there's nothing democratic about any of it, but uh, they get what they want. They plan the future, they plan the world, they plan uh, a eugenically ordered society uh, with the, the, the worst type genes killed off, meaning those who have got potentiality for sickness or disease down the road. Uh, and that'd be good enough to stop you from even getting born shortly, as already in some countries, by the way, and bring down a population down to a manageable standard for a post-industrial world. They'll keep China going for a while. That'll keep supplying all the goodies for the elite themselves. But for the rest of us, really, our job is almost over. And that's why you're seeing the, the Western countries collapse in on themselves on purpose, uh, forced by anti-terrorism nonsense, and uh, Europe is just simply getting put under by one bank after another collapsing and one country after another collapsing and everyone being taxed into the grave with compound interest from the masters who run the financial systems, who are all part of the big system because it was international bankers at the beginning that formed this cabal to take over the world. Professor Carl Quigley documents it well in his books, Tragedy and Hope, uh, History of the World in Our Time, and his other book, The Anglo-American Establishment. And then again, the Rees Commission, go into that one and buy the book as well. It's called uh, Foundations, Their Power and Influence. Also up on YouTube, and you can see uh, Senator Dodd, Norman Dodd, who was part of the commission, who talked the, the foundations, who were quite honest about where they were taking the world. And also, too, that they took their, their orders straight from the White House. Every president and prime minister across the world has been a member of the same 
World Organization, chosen in advance and propped in front of you to vote for. doesn't matter what party it is, all the top ones are members of the same organization in every country across the planet. And that's why we're all going down the tubes now, you see, and that's why there's a rush on to bring you into total martial law. It's already here, it's worse than the States. And much, much worse is to go because governments have their sights set on all of this. They cannot stop their agenda. You can't slow them down, put the brakes on. That's not how governments work. They, when they get to a certain stage like this, they end up with mass, mass mayhem and even slaughter on occasions as history always shows. Always the same scenario. Always the same scenario for those who don't understand it. Don't understand the past, you won't understand the future or the present. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix talking about the big system you're in right now, only part of a long range plan and your parents went through part of it, your grandparents as well. So you're on the go for a long, long time where wars are brought on and forced uh, to happen, to occur, to bring consensus uh, uh, to treaties. And, uh, of course, treaties bind them together, and then you can do things like, well, unite the whole of Europe. That was all part of the big, big plan in the last war. They tried it with the First World War too, and the League of Nations hoped to get them all to give up their sovereignty and become uh, uh, subservient to this global agenda. But um, we get nonsense from the mainstream media, of course, and mainstream media put up so many times links to the Council on Foreign Relations' own websites where they and their think tanks and their writers, because you see almost every journalist out there in mainstream is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. In fact, the Council on Foreign Relations will often give you a story on what's to happen across the Middle East with all those experts you see who are fomenting trouble. And they, they also write for the CFR and mainstream newspapers, and they give you the links to the papers. So you'd always see the Washington Times pop up there and other times as well. Because they said the Times of London and the Times of New York a long time ago was part of the structure, and then they took over the other papers as well. Anyway, getting back to what I'm talking about here is... Um, how misleading everything is in the mainstream, unless you really know your history and what's really going on. And remember that all these reporters have uh, an agenda. They're, they've been well vetted to get into the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, you have to get asked in. You cannot ask yourself into it. You're, you're, you're requested to come in after you've been well vetted to make sure you play the game and keep the public in the dark. And you'll spout any lies, of course, to get wars off the go and to demonize enemies and, and all of that kind of stuff that we're used to. But here's an article here, and I mentioned it before in a previous article from the same website, to do with what do they teach the officers in the U.S. military and uh, about m- the Muslims. And it says here, U.S. military taught officers to use Hiroshima, Hiroshima tactics for total war on Islam. And it says here that the U.S. military taught its future leaders that a total war against the world's 1.4 billion Muslims would be necessary to protect America from Islamic terrorists. So total war on all the Muslims. 
according to the documents obtained by Danger Room, among the options considered for the conflict uh, was using the lessons of Hiroshima to wipe out whole cities at once, targeting the civilian population wherever necessary. If you wonder why all these reports came out when they went into Iraq and they were going round uh, at, at night, uh, targeting one village after another and wiping them out, this is all part of this agenda. This is the course first reported by Danger Room last month and held at the Defence Department's Joint Forces Staff College has since been cancelled by the Pentagon brass. So they say it won't be, mind you, it's covert. And uh, the, the previous article actually mentioned the same kind of thing, we're going to cancel it because of the way they describe Muslim people. It says, it's only now, however, that the details of the class have come to light. Danger Room received hundreds of pages of course material and reference documents from a source familiar with the contents of the class. And I've got PDFs and everything here. I'll put up tonight on that, too. It says, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff recently ordered the entire U.S. military to scour its training material to make sure it doesn't contain similarly hateful material a process that is still ongoing. But the officer who delivered the, the lectures, Army Lieutenant Colonel Matthew A. Dooley, and again, even these guys, you have to see if they're double agents working for, say, a foreign government, uh, who would hate Islam, uh, who benefits. Anyways, he still maintains his position at the Norfolk, Virginia College, pending an investigation. And that's not far-fetched at all. It's common for other governments, especially ones we were friendly with, to infiltrate America's military and end up leading it, in fact often at the general level. It says the commanders, the commanders, lieutenant colonels, captains and colonels who sat in on Dooley's classrooms listening to the inflammatory material week after week have now moved into higher level assignments throughout the U.S. military, meaning they're up there in, in the higher ranks now, still teaching, doing the same stuff. For the better part of the last decade, a small cabal, a small cabal of self-anointed counter-terrorism experts. Now, where did they come from? Who infiltrated the U.S. military? Well, I'll leave it up to you to guess and say who benefits. Has been working its way through the U.S. military, intelligence, and law enforcement communities, trying to convince whoever it could that America's real terrorist enemy wasn't Al-Qaeda, but the Islamic faith itself. In his course, Dooley brought in these anti-Muslim demagogues as guest lecturers, and it took their arguments to its final ugly conclusion. He says, we, we, we have now come to understand that there's no such thing as a moderate Islam. This is Dooley, you see. Dooley noted in his July 2011 presentation, and I'll put that PDF up tonight, uh, which concluded with a suggested manifesto to America's enemies. It is therefore time for the United States to make our true intentions clear. This barbaric ideology will no longer be tolerated. Islam must change or we will facilitate its self-destruction. You think it's all about anti-terrorism? No, this is a long-term goal, long-term agenda, uh, long before 9-11 came along. Dooley could not be reached for comment. Joint Forces Staff College spokesman Stephen Williams declined to discuss Dooley's presentation or his status at the school. But when I asked if Dooley was responsible for the course material, he responded, I don't know if I would classify him, Dooley, as responsible. That would be the commandant of the school, Major General Joseph Ward. That makes the two-star general culpable for rather shocking material. In the same presentation, Dooley lays out a possible four-phase war plan to carry out a forced transformation of the Islam region. Phase three includes possible outcomes like Islam reduced to a cult status and Saudi Arabia threatened with starvation. It's an especially ironic suggestion in light of today's news that Saudi intelligence broke up the most recent Al-Qaeda bombing plot. International, see the Al-Qaeda is working now with the U.S. government. 
international laws protecting civilians in wartime are no longer relevant. And that's the U.S.'s motto today. International laws protecting civilians in wartime are no longer relevant. Dooley continues, and that opens the possibility of applying the historical precedents of Dresden, Tokyo, Hiroshima, Nagasaki to Islam's holiest cities and bringing about Mecca and Medina's destruction. Dooley's ideological allies have repeatedly stated that mainstream Muslims are dangerous because they are violent, to say, by nature. Yet only a few of Al-Qaeda's most twisted fanatics were ever caught musing about wiping out entire cities. Some of these actions offered for consideration here will not be seen as politically correct in the eyes of many, Dooley adds. Ultimately, we can do very little in the West to decide this matter short of waging total war. Now, total war is an actual a theory of war where all civilians are, have to be wiped out. Britain used it, and the U.S. used it in World War II, and Dowding of Britain, who the RAF leader, decided to uh, wage total war on all the civilian population of Germany. Uh, why go for the factories? We can, we can wipe out all of the labor and all the families. Anyway, back to Dooley. He says, Dooley, who has worked with the Joint Forces Staff College since August 2010, began his eight-week class with a straightforward two-party history of Islam. It was delivered by David Fatua, a former West Point history professor. Unfortunately, if we left it at that, you wouldn't have the proper balance of points of view, nor would you have an accurate view of how Islam defines itself, Dooley told his students. Over the next few weeks, he invited a trio of guest lecturers famous for their incendiary views of Islam and... Um, some of them were this. Shireen Burka declared that during 2008 election that Obama is bin Laden's dream candidate. And uh, in her Joint Forces Staff College lecture, she told students that Islam is an imperialist conquering religion. And I'll put these PDDFs up too. Stephen Coughlin claimed in his 2007 master's thesis that the then-present George Bush's declaration of friendship with the vast majority of the world's Muslims had a chilling effect on those tasked to define the enemy's doctrine. A PDF in that as well. Coughlin was supposedly let go from his consulting position in the military's joint staff, but he continued to lecture at the Naval War College and the FBI's Washington field office. In his talk to Dooley's class, the PDF on that one as well, Coughlin suggested that Al-Qaeda helped drive the overthrow of Egyptian strongman Hosni Mubarak and Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi. It was part of a scheme by Islamists to conquer the world, he added, and Coughlin mocked those who didn't see this plot as clearly as he did, accusing them of complexification. That's a good term, complexification. You don't understand what's complexification you've got. Coughlin titled, titled his talk, Imposing Islamic Law, or are, uh, these are the droids you're looking for. These are the droids you're looking for. Former FBI employee John uh, Guandolo told the Conspiratorial World Net Daily website last year that Obama was only the latest president to fall under the influence of Islamic extremists. The level of penetration in the last three administrations is deep, Guandolo alleged. In his reference material from the Joint Forces College class, Guandala not only spoke of today's Muslims as enemies of the West, he even justified the Crusades, writing that they were initiated after 100 years of Muslim incursion into Western lands. So, Guandala's paper was titled, Unusual Responses from the Enemy When Presented with the Truth, PDF, was one of hundreds of presentations, documents, videos, and web links electronically distributed to the Joint Forces Staff College students, including in that trove was a paper alleging that it is a permanent command in Islam for Muslims to hate and despise Jews and Christians. P. 
PDF. Who would benefit from that? So was a video lecture from Sergei Trafkovic, it's called. A former professor appeared as a defense witness in several trials of Bosnian Serb leaders convicted of war crimes, including the genocide of Muslims. A web link titled Watch Before This Is Pulled supposedly shows President Obama, the commander-in-chief of the senior office, attending the course, admitting that he's a Muslim. Julie added that the caveats that are that his views are not the official policy of the new U.S. government and are intended to generate dynamic discussion and thought. But he, he taught his fellow military officers that Obama's alleged admission could well make the commander-in-chief some sort of traitor. By conservative estimates, 10% of the world's Muslims, a staggering 140 million people, hate everything you stand for and will never coexist with you unless you submit to Islam. He added, your oath as a professional soldier forces you to pick a side here. It's unclear if Dooley's total war on Muslims also applied to his Muslim commander-in-chief. Quite something, eh? I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I am back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the courses that are taught for U.S. officers to do with Islam and uh, how they are radicalized and definitely prejudiced once they finish these courses against all Muslims, calling for total war against all Islam, uh, for those who haven't quite caught on what's going on yet. And some of the people they brought into these courses too, it's quite interesting in the books supplied for the, these officers, uh, it makes you really wonder, well actually it's not hard to wonder who these characters are and who's infiltrated and who runs the system inside the US. Who benefits? I always say that. But it says one of them is called, uh, There's Militant Islam Reaches America by Daniel Pipes, who claims to have confirmed that President Obama was once a practicing Muslim and whose book asks, Why would terrorists suppress women if this did not have something to do with their Islamic outlook? A book called Islamakazi, Manifestations of Islamic Martyrology, ties normative Islam to horrendous cruelty and inhumanity. The editor of the anthology, Muhammad's Monsters, has previously written that Islam and democracy are totally incompatible and are mutually inconclusive. The same applies to modernity, which is perceived as a threat to Islamic civilization. This is what they're taught in, in the courses there. Very selective books to make sure they're properly brainwashed. And there is also Onward Muslim Soldiers by Robert Spencer. Spencer is one of the U.S.'s leading opponents of Islam. Now, who benefits and who does Spencer work for? Along with the blogger Pamela Geller, who does Pamela Geller work for? Spencer leads a group called Stop Islamization of America, which promotes a conspiratorial anti-Muslim agenda under the guise of fighting radical Islam, according to the Anti-Defamation League. Spencer's work, this is taught to the U.S. military. Now listen to this. Spencer's work was cited 64 times in the political manifesto of Anders Bering Breivik, the Oslo terrorist who killed 69 people earlier this year. He was all very pro-Israeli policies to do with Muslims, by the way. When Deja Room presented the FBI in July with recently declassified materials showing that its law enforcement training unit recommended one of Spencer's other books to agents, 
its response was unequivocal. Uh, it says the representation of or the presentation in question was a rudimentary version used for a limited time that has since been replaced. Onward Muslim Soldiers was available for checkout in the Quantico Library as recently as late August. The FBI's dalliance with Robert Spencer is not limited to the stacks of Quantico. In July 2010, Spencer presented what he described as two-hour uh, seminars on the belief systems of its Islamic jihadists to the JITTF, that's the Terrorism Task Force, in Tidewater, Virginia. He presented a similar lecture to the U.S. Attorney's Anti-Terrorist Advisory Council, which is co-hosted by the FBI's Norfolk Field Office. When a coalition of civil rights groups sent letters protesting the FBI's embrace of Spencer, the special agent in charge of the Norfolk FBI, Alex J. Turner, replied, Seeking broad knowledge on a wide range of topics is essential in understanding today's terrorist environment and helps us to defeat ignorance and strengthen relationships with the diverse communities we serve. Spencer was, was only one of an array of self-anointed experts delivering similar messages about Islam to bureau audiences. See, the U.S. is totally infiltrated by other organizations with other national ties, you might say. And that's how it really is in the world. That's how it really, really is. And this war is going to go on forever until they destroy all of Islam. I said that at the beginning. At the beginning, I knew what was going on then. It was so obvious. I remember, too, even in the Vietnam War, when the heads of the CIA at the time were questioned during the war about so when it will stop and when will they go back home and all that stuff. And one of the guys, that, the head of the CIA at the time, says, well, we've got lots of wars to fight yet, lots. When they're doing this war, they're already planning ones 20, 30 years down the road. Long-term agendas, folks. You're living through a script, so I always said. After all, you, the world corporation runs you all. And in the U.S., which is absolutely, there's no way it can go except get worse and worse. This is always the way it goes uh, when you're into totalitarianism. It, it gets worse and worse. They cannot stop mid-flight and, and alter their course. That's now how, how big uh, tyrannical governments work. They can't... Uh, get another uh, idea of how to run their country, it will go to the bitter end. And the people are obviously viewed as the targets and the enemies in the U.S. and elsewhere too, I should add as well. And it gets into the ludicrous. And this was happening a long time ago, but it's, it's stepping up and stepping up. We are dealing with robots now. And again, that's what you get with totalitarian systems. You get robots working the system. And if they're told to kill, they will kill, believe you me. And a lot of them want to kill because they're really geared for it and trained for it too and, and brainwashed. And a lot of them are pinheads as well at the TSA. I'll say that quite honestly and openly. I, I, I would say that quite. Look at them. <laughs> Look at them. Pinheads and potato people with uniforms. Anyway, baby uh, 18 months old is ordered off the plane at Fort Lauderdale Airport. Uh, this is the ridiculous stuff that happens. It says that... Um, what happened was um, she, she was called on Tuesday night on, at the Fuller Airport. She and her parents had just boarded a JetBlue flight when an airline employee approached them and asked them to get off the plane, saying that representatives from the Transportation Security Administration wanted to speak to them. And it says, and I said, for what? Ryan's mother told the only WPBF 25 News on Wednesday, and he said, well, it's not you or your husband. Your daughter was flagged as no fly. I said, excuse me? Ryan's father was flabbergasted. It's absurd, he said. It makes no sense. Why would an 18-month-old child be on a no-fly list? 
Rana's parents, who astronaut be identified, said they think they know the answer. They believe they were profiled because they're both of Middle Eastern descent. The mother wears a, a hijab, traditional headscarf, and that's why they have asked to remain anonymous. So now they're flagging the babies, folks. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. Argentina Argentina has passed uh, the dignified death law as well, euthanasia. And it gives you the usual heartbreaking story of, of a particular person. Uh, but really, you cannot put this in, which eventually it creeps into the hands of government who will decide who lives and dies. And that's what it's about. But Argentina also, uh, strangely enough, see, they're all getting cash, big cash flowing in from IMF. Now they're all in trouble or else they're coming up and coming countries, one or the other. And um, along with that comes a, whole, a lot of stipulations. You must change this, change that, and, and change laws, etc. So that's got a lot to do with it, too, being politically correct for this world uh, euthanasia system. And it says here also, the Senate also passed a law that allows people to change their gender officially without court approval. And uh, so, that, so now they can, they can basically change their gender and their name and all the rest of it without going to a judge. Uh, I think they call it gender reassignment or something now. It's kind of like a conveyor belt, you know. Just I think you were in the wrong one <laughs> at a junction and you just jumped on the other conveyor belt. So you get reassigned. Uh, it's very much like Brave New World, the way it's going down, isn't it? And no surprise, of course, I've mentioned years ago that eventually you'll see, I actually says you'll see live sex and even in comedy shows. That's everything has to be, to understand, to totally destroy a culture that, that, that fought and, and was strong against uh, infiltrators coming in with a, an agenda to dominate you. Um, they would eventually show all this kind of stuff on television after they destroyed your religions and all the rest of it, you see. And um, we're, we're pretty well there, but online too, there's so much going on. New York, New York, which is one of the, the centers for all this along with L.A., uh, pushes all this stuff through. Viewing child pornography online is not a crime, the New York courts it rules. It says so. Andrew Como unveils an anti-child pornography initiative while serving as attorney. That's a, that's a photograph, etc. Anyway, it says a purposeful viewing of child pornography on the internet is now legal in New York. So they can all diddle the children, I guess, and get used to it. Because that's what it leads to. It's all about normalizing that which is uh, repugnant and, and illegal. It's normalization, you call it, in psychological warfare. So the purposeful viewing of child pornography on the Internet is now legal in New York. Senior Judge Carmen Beauchamp Siparic uh, uh, wrote in a majority decision for the court. It came after the Marist College professor James D. Kent was sentenced to prison in August 2009 uh, after more than 100 images of child pornography were found on his computer's cache. So that's the, uh, for a college professor. Well, it's, that's pretty common with these guys with the, you know, the, the, the pink bow ties and stuff. But anyway, this is a normalization. We're well on a roll now to totally destroy all that, all that was. That's what they say. And they said this thousands of years ago. To destroy all that was to bring in the new. You know, to make it how it's supposed to be, or to perfect that that was left imperfect from a, an ancient religion. 
And that's what's all about, folks. And destruction, total destruction, so, so that you can be dominated by the ones who are really behind it all. Wars go on for thousands of years, folks. They certainly do. And you've got to know your history. Now, this is an interesting one, too. It's from the Jewish journals, but the, the Occupy movement. And he talks about, see, it's May, the Grunions are running, and so are the members of Occupy LA. They wriggle up from the cold and dark, plant their tushes on the warm ground and squirm about frantically, desperate to get something accomplished until a massive tide sweeps them away. And I'm not talking about the fish. It says, Grunions at least mate during their annual appearance. The Occupy movement, if it follows the same course as before, is destined just to beat itself and die. Last year, when protesters camped from Wall Street to the lawn of Los Angeles City Hall, they made headlines and accomplished one significant feat. They focused national attention on the growing gap between the country's rich and the poor. Why, some of the wealthiest readers may ask, is that anyone's problem? Because stable communities and resilient nations are built on a strong middle class. That's a truism economists of all stripes and parties agree upon, though the political class of all stripes seem incapable of acting on it. So the Occupy LA people... Uh, puts, we are the 99% on poster boards and wave them in our faces, and for a while it worked, at least until they trashed the lawn outside City Hall and caused public safety employees to rack up endless hours of overtime, costing the middle class taxpayers hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that was all in 2011, when the occupiers reappeared and made the first the news media yawned, and the organizers themselves seemed literally directionless. A West Los Angeles contingent set out to join the May Day protesters downtown, drove their bicycles down Santa Monica Boulevard, past the Beverly Hilton Hotel, and stopped to regroup in the parkway along Little Santa Monica. A small contingent threw an impromptu protest in front of the Prada store on Rodeo Drive, no doubt confusing the Chinese and Russians who could actually afford the stuff inside. Meanwhile, back at the Beverly Hilton Hotel, I was inside standing amongst a dozen men in suits, shaking their heads in utter dismay as the occupiers rode past. They are really clueless, one said. There's billions of dollars of capital in this hotel, and they're going to Prada. That's right, the men and women fighting for the 99% bypass what may be the largest and most influential annual gathering of the 1% in the United States, and a lot of them from outside the United States as well. How large the annual Milking Global Conference brings together 3,000 attendees over four days to discuss, discuss financial politics and the state of the world. Another big, you know, influential group type that run the planet. The cost of entry to get in starts at $6,000. That's to keep all the protesters and riffraff and, and the commoners out. How influential? One year I ran into Warren Buffett, Rupert Murdoch and Alvin Toffler. Yeah, Alvin Toffler, the guy wants you all to live in little shacks down the road and, and eat veggie diets, you know, all in the same moment in the men's room. Uh, these occupiers need to fire their research department. The Global Conference combines graduate-level seminars and everything from equity formation to international policy and upstairs deal-making and ferocious hallway networking. The attendees tend to be asset managers, asset managers, investors, venture capitalists, corporate chieftains. They're mostly men in suits clutching, iPhones and Blackberries. While people shake your hand, their eyes never leave your name tag on your chest. After a while, I knew how Dolly Parton must feel. That's a little bit of humor. But here's the, the greater irony. If the Occupy movement was clueless about what was happening inside the Hilton, the conference itself dedicated substantial time and attention to exploring the concerns of the 99%. You see, the, the wealthy elite are really concerned about you as they rip you off through all their cons. 
This isn't new or surprising. Investor and philanthropist Michael Milken, who created the Global Conference in 1998, is driven by the idea that capital creates innovation and social change. Well, social change it does. It's called poverty. That wealth used in creative and aggressive ways spreads wealth to themselves as So the vast majority of the sessions focus on how investments in innovative medicine, food, technology, education and communication can help solve the challenges the world faces in those fields, even as they increase increase the returns. One entire track looked at how free market innovation in Israel and the Arab world can increase political stability through the Middle East. More on that next week. Well, that's after the, 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 the flatten it, I suppose, you know, the U.S., not surprisingly, the one percenters uh, sided more with Ferguson, but another panel titled Easy Money, Consequences of the Global Liquidity Glut, became clear that in Milken's world, it's just a big shanda for capital as for people to be lying around doing nothing. And it goes on and on. But anyway, that's how the world is really run. It's not done through the politicians. The politicians wait for these guys to walk up and lobby them and go out for lunch and drinky poos and get pissed and make their big under-the-table under the deals and rubber stamp things through. That's how the world really, really works, folks. And there's never been such a gap between rich and poor because it's designed that way. It's designed that way. As they go into globalization, the privatization of every country's uh, basic essential supplies of water, food, uh, gas, everything else you need, they should be run by your local councils and all that. They, they take it all. Uh, they, they, they're just plundering the planet. It's plundering the planet. It's a field day. Uh, and they're having a ball, an absolute ball. And when interest rates go down, they simply leverage capital. That's what it's called, leveraging capital. And they can borrow millions, very cheap rates, and then they loan out to the third world countries that were, were, were flattening into the ground. And they can charge 40, 50% interest rate back on it, with nobody else will lend to them. Same with Europe as well, folks. Uh, that's what they did with Spain. Spain, by again, is now nationalized. It's a bank had to nationalize it today because it's completely screwed with, with the central bank of Europe. You know, the conglomeration of central banks now are into one big bank in Europe for the Rothschilds. And, um, and now they've sent, they've, they actually have to go in and, and uh, the bank is socialized. They've got the whole people basically owe all the debt now. It's going to spread it across the whole public. That's the real world. That's the real world. And uh, China, it says in this other article, has finally given up on Europe uh, because it's no good news at all coming out of there. And it says it will make more complicated, uh, make complicated for various European newspapers to make up articles alleging China will bail out Europe. They're not going to do it at all. They've given up with the debt of, and the farce of Europe as the big banks simply take over the country as they were designed to do. That was always the plan. Professor Carl Quigley talked about it. He worked for the group. And, of course, we know, too, that Mr. Rockefeller has his famous statement, it's better that the big bankers in academia and intelligentsia run the world, run, leaving it to nations. So it's going, all, it's going the way it's planned. So China is not going to keep buying. They've stopped buying all their, their debt bonds. They've had it. And this one here is with men. See, men, too, they're really working hard to get you all sterile. You're getting sterile by the food you eat, too, by the way and the inoculations they give you. They know that because the sperm has been plummeting uh, in, the, in the Western male for, for many years now. And the UN keeps track of it. They always kind of happily say it when they give their statistics out at the end of the year. Oh, it's down 85%, now yawn. There's no crisis about it because they know they're doing it, you see. Of course they are. And men now, even at 20, 21, the average person, uh, don't have uh, uh, sperm that's, that really is functional at all. It's, they seem deformed. 
but it's not good enough. It's not good enough. You see, you're, you understand there's a problem too, especially with the, the slave population that helps another people dominate the planet. Because this, 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 this people who go across the planet fighting for wars they don't even care about, really. That's what they're still doing. Uh, can be a problem at times too, because they can turn on the, the masters if they ever find out who masters are. So they, they want you now to uh, get this little injection. See, some people insist the best contraceptive is having children, etc. But as parents know, we know that birth control isn't just for child-free. It says, the good news is that a recent innovation is soon to revolutionize birth control, a procedure performed on men, which is said by Techcitement, to, this is, must be a, uh, one of their magazines, to be 100% efficient. And guess what it does? They put a, they inject a polymer, a polymer, a mixture, which hardens like a glue over 72 hours into the van's deference of the penis. The polymer is designed not to block the tubes, though, and sperm are still able to pass through. But here's where it works, you see. The polymer, uh, this pattern of negative-positive polarization, like electricity, they they zap the sperm as the sperm go through it. Just zap, 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 you see. And isn't that just wonderful? Science is so great. This, This progress we're doing is so great, you know. Someone had to find progress. They know where they're going. No one else does. Anyway, it's a very simple, cheap injection. The syringe is said to be more expensive than the contents, and the almost painless treatment is durable, lasting for 10 years. By that time, you'll probably have multiple cancers and, and your prostate cancer and so on. But don't worry, you've got a few years of living through it. And um, and that's what they're plugging uh, for the, the people. Interesting how they put it in the food, too. Remember, even the golden rice program that Rockefeller talked about, you know, to save the world in third world countries. After they had the big meetings about depopulating the third world, they want to go and save them, you know. And uh, and the UN came out and said that, that the stuff, that the, the side effects of it too, is it can actually make male men infertile. It's just beautiful how they do it to the, the peasantry. Because the peasantry cannot believe, that their credibility can't go that far. Oh, they'd never do that to us. Even though they've done it before, oh, they'd never do that to us. Huh. Oh. You can't help people, can you? You can't help most folk. I must have put it up tonight too. The Secretary General remarks at the Atlantic Council, Mr. Ban Ki-moon. And I've mentioned before, remember the United Nations is not a democratic institution. Nobody in the general public of any country voted it in. And yet it's to be the, it's to be the form of world government. It's the umbrella where all the NGOs, foundations and all that work under. We also fund them, of course, and live awfully well on big salaries. But if you look at the names that they have, uh, it's the same kind of names that they have in the military. You better remember that. There are no coincidences about this. And uh, Secretary General, a Secretary Generally, uh, and um, and of course they have the NATO wings and all the rest of it, uh, and nobody voted them in except your own Prime Ministers and Presidents, the Royal Members of the Council on Foreign Relations and Royal Institute of International Affairs. And Kissinger was at this one too, and of course they actually do their big long uh, congratulating of, of each other Kissinger gets lots of congrats to Ban Ki-moon, and Ban Ki-moon gets some groveling ones happily back. And all their honours, all their honoured people who are, uh, have attended, uh, who are very, very important folk. And uh, even His Royal, Royal Highness Prince Harry was there. But he goes on about thanking for, for all the troops to go off and do all these wars and things to bring peace to the world. Uh, so Orwellian, in fact, so Orwellian. 
And there's no remorse about slaughtering folk anywhere and plundering their oil fields or any, any of that mentioned at all. He just says the world is a rough place. Well, it is now. It certainly is now since he started all this. And then he also talks about in Syria that violence still continues. We're in a race against time to prevent full-scale civil war. Because, you see, we're funding the civil war, uh, the West. And he knows it, too. They put them all in. I'll put an article tonight about that, too, uh, where you actually see them talking about uh, biding time as they get more reinforcements into Syria uh, to, to, to make sure they can overthrow it this time. Uh, from the West. Uh, it's, it's no civil war at all. It's an invasion. And this other article too, as, as I say, is uh, to do with, um, yeah, this one here in fact. It says, uh, as, as if to alleviate any lingering doubt, NATO's Alliance News blog has confirmed that the U.S. is committed not to peace, but rather to the overthrow of Syria's government, and has already committed to helping President Bashar al-Assad fall but is merely looking for the least violent, lowest cost way to get there. The April 9th, 2012 blog entry, this is NATO, their, their blog entry, uh, featured an op-ed titled, U.S. Already Committed to Helping Assad Fall, and fully admits that the U.S. is equipped with uh, equipping the so-called Free Syrian Army, which has received weapons, leadership, and cash from the NATO-backed Libyan Islamic Fighting Group, LIFG, terrorist led by notorious mass murderer Abdul Hakim Bilhaj says here. This is official alliance news blog probably reports the U.S. is already committed to helping Assad fall and is simply using the, f- the f- lull in the fighting brought on by Kofi Annan's uh, disingenuous peace plan to rearm, reorganize, and redeploy their terrorist proxy forces against Assad. The op-ed featured on NATO's blog was featured in the LA Times and written by CFR Council on Foreign Relations member Doyle McManus. And now the Brookings Institution itself has predictably declared the Annan peace deal is a failure and states that the time to stretch Syria's military to the breaking point through expanded foreign-backed unrest has come. In an article entitled Annan's Mission Impossible, Why Everyone is Pretending the, the UN Plan for Syria Has a Prayer of Succeeding, Brookings Doha Center Director Solomon Sheikh insults the intelligence of his readership while handing out useful talking points to be parted by the corporate media over the next few days and weeks. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix. David Cameron, of course, in Britain, who backed off of the Euro a little while ago, is now back on course now that he's forgot the, the, he thinks the public's forgotten all about it. And he says Cameron says that Euro needs a single government, so further integration into this massive debt pile black hole where they've taxed everybody to pay all these loans they've borrowed from the central the banks and IMF and plugged back into the central bank to stop these hemorrhaging things happening all over the place, just hemorrhaging, you see. And so they've, they've bankrupted every country to make this thing come to pass so that the central banks, like they said at the beginning, would run the world under the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland. Again, read, read the Council on Foreign Relations own uh, Professor Carl Quigley, who got access to their archives and published the books on the agenda. He thought it was fine, actually, the agenda. He had no problems with it. And the U.S. Fed, the private, the private bank that runs the U.S., the Fed clears China's first U.S. bank takeover. 
The U.S. opened its banking market to China's biggest bank, the ICBC, for the first time, clearing a takeover of a U.S. bank by Chinese state-controlled company. doesn't matter, folks. It's the same folk who own the Chinese banks as well, if you didn't know. Same people. And um, another one, too, is to do with... Um, Google, Google's just like Orwell's black, in a hole, you know, it had the memory hole. Anything didn't want to, kept in, in folks' memory, went down the memory hole and disappeared. Just like they do with lots of video tubes that go up on, on YouTube, they just pull them all and oh, no, I can't remember that one, it could never have existed. In hot water, Iran slams Google for keeping the Persian Gulf off the map. It just isn't on it. It's always been called the Persian Gulf, but not, not now, just, just blank, you see. And so Iran's complaining about that too. In front of your eyes, folks, just like a, a, a magician on the stage. That's so easy, isn't it? And um, the future of mass dossiers, an excellent uh, expose of the dossiers being kept on all people today. And it says, Jewish guest columnist Christopher Slobogin of Vanderbilt University Law School says that a new set of guidelines for the National Counterterrorism Center's use of information contains provisions which are troubling from a privacy standpoint and should be modified to require more congressional oversight. The Department of Justice recently issued guidelines for access, retention, use and dissemination by the National Counterterrorism Center and agencies of information and data sets. It's like the Soviet Union, isn't it? Containing non-terrorist information. That's on all of you folks, all your data. And there these massive dossiers on you. And it says, um, uh, this prolix title implies the National Counterterrorism Center, the key agency for organizing and analyzing national security intelligence, routinely accesses and acquires data sets about U.S. citizens that contain personal details having nothing to do with terrorism. The data sets could contain information about credit card transactions, airline reservations, phone and ICP communications, bank tax and social security records, and perhaps even medical consultations. Nowhere did the guidelines mention these data sets by name, but previous intelligence practice make clear they're amongst the sources that the NCTC wants to consult. Well, the government was probably collecting much of this information even before the events of September 11, 2001, since that time has clearly been aggressively engaged in doing so through a series of programs known successively as Total Information Awareness. I'll put the whole PDF up tonight, just worth going through, folks, just to see. And if you can't get at what's happening, well... I don't know, just go back and chew the cud. From Hamish Masella from Ontario, Canada, is good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>